Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. His name is Peter Xiao. In 2018, Peter was having a massive moment in his career and poised to launch a 10-digit global investment fund with bold-faced global names that was the culmination of a lifetime of preparation in a U.S.-China collaboration. Three years and three hard pivots later, he would end up launching the company of his dreams, literally. Peter Xiao is the founder and CEO of Immortal Studios that is building an all-media storyverse dedicated to the martial arts fantasy genre known as wuxia, starting from comic books. He is a serial founder in East-West Entertainment and Media Ventures and has also led California-China cross-industrial collaborations across multiple industries. Peter, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Nice to see you guys. Yeah, Peter, we're excited to have you on the show. And before we dive deep into your childhood, I want to I want to hop into. I didn't know we we're going to cover my childhood. I want to I want to cover <laughs> yes. that, Peter. Before we dive in, deep into that, I want to cover your your fascination with the story Journey to the West. Mm-hmm. You know, because that was also my fascination growing up, and one thing that keeps me motivated. And I think about it some time to time too. How like the lessons I learned, I can incorporate that into my life. Well, look, who doesn't love the Monkey King? Yes. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't love the Monkey King? The Monkey is just such a fabulous, fantastic way to get into Eastern fantasy mysticism. So all of his different journeys. I remember um, growing up, I was a kid in Hollywood, even though I, I was born in Asia. And I happened upon journey, the Journey to the West um, cartoon, which I just love because, you know, back in those days, you just didn't see anything Asian on television. Mm -hmm. Um, The fact that I grew up reading it in its original form was just amazing. Um, Of course, later on as an adult, um, as I really got into Eastern philosophy, um, even doing things like managing the Shaolin Temple brand Mm -hmm. for movies, television shows, I really got an in-depth understanding of what was actually involved. So there's actually a deeper reason why Journey to the West continues to exist because it's got you know, little jewels of enlightenment that's embedded into it. And that's why I still love it even to this day, because in so many ways, our journeys as people, our souls are very much like the monkey king, you know, it's like our ego getting worked until it's also the life, the journey of an entrepreneur, right? Mm -hmm. From pure potential to somebody who's subdued um, and work things out until you can actually make it all the way, all the way home. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. And for our listeners, Journey is to, to the West is a very classic uh, Chinese, or not even Chinese, like Asian folktale, mm-hmm. uh, talking about the journey of money, uh, money monkey king. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I grew up watching Monkey King. I would watch it every single day. And my, my mother and my father were both like, you watch too much Monkey King. I know, I it's love it. It's such a childhood um, memory for me. But yeah, let's dive into your, your childhood in some ways. Monkey you know, it's more global. I mean, it, it truly has become global. And I think yes. we're going to yeah. see a lot more of the Monkey King. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Especially with your work too. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more inspiration from that. In fact, we've designed a whole universe 
um, that's devoted to that really fantastical world as part of our immortal story verse. And of course, we can talk a little bit more about that later. But yeah. you really want to know about my childhood. So let's go. I want to yes. hear more about it because we listen to other podcasts and we hear that your father is mm-hmm. a very inspirational man. And we want to hear about the kind of childhood that you had and the kind of impact that he made on your, you and your life. Well, you know, it's a long story because my father, well, first, my father, you want to know about my father, right? No, we want to know about you. Well, I was born into this, I was born into this really uh, traditional Chinese family. My father, one of the big reasons is because my father is a martial arts fantasy writer. Mm-hmm. So he's literally the only job he's had ever since he was maybe 22. He became a best-selling author in Taiwan at age 22. Wow. Has only had one job his entire life. He would go on to become one of the, I would say, one of the four or two, depending on who you listen to, one of the top martial martial arts fantasy creators in the past hundred years. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a saying in China, um, Jin Yong of the South and Xiao Yi of the North. So they literally carved it up into two great creators. And of course, Jin Yong, Louis Cha, is the Condor heroes. Is you know, it's absolutely the phenomenal writer. So um, because he was my father, he, he didn't really just treat it as a profession. He, he was, it was his life. So in some ways, I, I was raised in ancient China. <laughs> I was raised in ancient China. And before I would, I would, I even went to school, I learned how to read his books. And he always kept a very sizable library at home, not too dissimilar. Like a lot of my collection actually comes from him. I'm surrounded by books and I started collecting myself. So I was born into this really beautiful, mystical, amazing, very proud world that was kind of the ancient martial universe. For people who like that kind of storytelling, you would know it's a world of heroes and heroines. Mm-hmm. It's a world where, where we have infinite potential. We have really big stakes. Um, and of course, that was very different from how I was my physical life. So the first nine years of my life, I was actually in Taiwan. And then my family immigrated. And then we went to South Africa and I lived in in South Africa. And then I lived in an African kingdom called Swaziland. And that's when I was first aware of the concept that the world is actually a very diverse place. So from a kid who was in a completely kind of Asian or Chinese environment, I all of a sudden realized there was racism. Mm-hmm. There was diversity. Um, I was living in Africa as an honorary white. And what was that? And then after a brief stint through um, Europe, I got dropped in the middle of Hollywood. That was kind of the cross-section of all the things that was, you know. Um, so as a, as a 10-year-old, I landed in, in, in Hollywood. So I still, to this day, consider myself that I'm from Hollywood. And this is where I kind of um, went my separate, way, separate ways with my dad because he stayed in ancient China writing his books. And I became a skateboarder and fell in love with kind of just trying to be trying to be a Western kid back back in the day. Um, so I have I've had a very East West upbringing, you know, almost like two different extremes. Um, so to this day, I still consider myself a, a Hollywood native because those were my my formative years were stint, spent in Hollywood. Wow. I love that. Yeah. And you mentioned your father for your father, you know, Wusha was a way of life for him. Did he kind of have any plans for you to take this as a career path or was it more of like him sharing a hobby with you? Um, It was, it was, it's really who he is. So like a lot of people have different types of dinner table conversations. 
our table dinner conversations where wuxia heroes and guests are at home or like fortune tellers or martial arts masters and qigong masters and so those were his interests he didn't try to get me there in fact he tried to talk me out of having a career mm-hmm. um in entertainment or media or content oriented i think he also had the thing that you know because even though he succeeded he was just one of the seldom very very few that actually can actually make a living that way so he wanted me to be stable and be everything that his life didn't afford him but ultimately um, i had my own path but it wasn't until much much later until that our paths would converge and literally when you read those stories when when you kind of read the opening um how I got here would would be a series of pivots as an entrepreneur and that I finally ended up in the the place that it ended up it just felt like I was meant to be here so it was not something that any of us could plan for but I would say that starting from um even 10 years ago uh it started to become clear because for some reason my life would always come back to these themes even though I wasn't necessarily trying to be here Mm-hmm. I thought I was I would be in politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that was amazing. Yeah, that is incredible. And talk about your transition just growing up in Hollywood. How what was going through your mind at that time? I know you were super young, but just, you know, coming from China and kind of growing up in Hollywood, what was it like for you? Well, first, I mean, there was a, there was definitely a transition i think there was a there was a transition there was a language country transition but just to correct that i was i was born in taiwan which is kind of different from from china but though you know identify as chinese american so um the language was different the customs was different frankly um i was a little disappointed because i thought america was supposed to look like disneyland <laughs> i was like i looked around i was like really this is it by then I had traveled to, you know, I've been to France, I've been to Paris, I've been to London, I've been to all these great capitals of the world and I landed in the States. It's like, wait, I thought this was, um, it was kind of a fun environment because Hollywood had a really, really fast crowd that I instantaneously bonded with. So these were like the music people, these were um, the musicians, they were the, the rockers. Um, it was kind of a really interesting place. So I, I kind of um, was comfortable and it was also a very diverse place. It wasn't because a lot of people, I think a lot of Asian Americans had this very homogenous experience, but I was, I was probably one of the most diverse places on earth. I met people from Korea. I met people from Armenia. I met, you know, I met lots of West side Jewish friends. I had Latino friends. I had gangbang. I had gangbanger friends from all types of races. Um, so it was an incredibly diverse place that I just kind of thrived on. Yeah. Mm. And um, so I actually was able to formulate a lot of my own ideas about diversity and multiculturalism. Um, but other than liking all of those things, I was basically checked out as a student. I was, you know, I hated school. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's really awesome hearing about your story and your perspective, everything, because you have such a, enrichful life you know you got to travel the world and see see everything the most ironic thing is you know Disneyland is actually in the OC <laughs> not, <laughs> not LA <laughs> it's so weird um it would take me two it would take me two years 
after coming to America that I would go to Disneyland. I remember the first time I went to Knott's Berry Farm thinking that I was going to Disneyland, but. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious about like some of the stuff that you're working on before Immortal Studios. You know, I know you had such a long history of helping other organizations, politics and everything. I want to hear about like that transition in different eras of your life and what led you to creating Immortal Studios. Sure. Um, well, Immortal is kind of, um, I'll just start roughly that, you know, I, I um, when I graduated from college, my, my first love and commitment was in public service. Mm. So, so I actually had the chance to be mentored by the mayor of Los Angeles and mayor Tom Bradley, who just, you know, through pure luck and circumstance, I had a chance to work in his administration, which transpired into um, working, lobbying for the city of LA after I graduated. So it was just one of those, this is a time when there was nobody who looked like me in politics, nobody who looked like us, you know, was, was kind of a fluke. And I went to Washington DC and I had a chance to work on Capitol Hill as a, as a, as a very young man. And um, I decided that I was, going to co- come back to LA and eventually seek electoral office. Mm-hmm. So I came back and um, I worked in, I worked for um, Asian American legal advocacy for the Asian American legal center. This is right before the, the, the LA riots. So there's a lot of racial tensions and I got involved in doing community-based mediation between African Americans and the Korean grocers um, and, and also there was a lot of racial tensions around. So I was actually trained as a federal mediator when there was brewing tensions, even sometimes between the Crips and the Bloods, we would be called in to provide like real uh, mediation. So then I had a chance to go to the state capitol. So I, weren't, I actually went into politics. You know, I'm going to kind of cut down my story a little bit. Just long story short, I was ready to run for office. Um, and then I had a big awakening that number one, I didn't want to wear suits seven days a week. Number two, for some reason, I wanted to tell stories and the realization came, I was running this, the California Senate committee on the entertainment industry then. So I was literally one of the key persons in charge of making laws in relation to the industry that I, I saw all my, all my political bosses. There were some of the most, the heavyweight politicians of our time they had a really hard time getting their message out. Uh-huh. Even being in politics, what I experienced actually was not being powerful, was being powerless. Part of it is it was so hard to move public opinion. Mm-hmm. And the only place that I saw that happened was through storytelling. I just felt like there was, a, there was an ease when, when you share a story, you could actually move someone's emotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after a long soul-searching process, I gave up my suit. I said, you know what? I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to go into the entertainment industry. And that furthermore, I didn't want it just to do it um, on on onshore in America. I wanted to go to China. I wanted to go to Asia and experience this other side of me. So there was this kind of this roots thing. So that turned into a 20-year career where I would eventually launch seven companies, half of them in the entertainment and media businesses. I learned to be a movie producer. Mm-hmm. I learned to be, um, to run investment funds in, in the entertainment business. I, I learned everything about marketing technology. How do you run studios? I sold a few of my screenplays. So I lived a Hollywood dream and from, from basically um, just having an idea 
And but the closer I got into it, the more I realized also as an entrepreneur, it's really about, I really cared a lot about representing, not just for political reasons, this, this, the um, Asian people, but I, I really felt I've always in my own different explorations as I got spent more time and I evolved a lot more in my own personal exploration. I really became a student of Eastern culture and philosophy and spirituality. I felt like really fell in love with a lot of these classical ideals that I think it's, it's so disowned by this modernity. And I really felt passionate about it as an equalizing force to extreme West, you know, Westernization, which I think has taken our world to the brink of destruction. Mm-hmm. I don't blame it on the Westerners. I think it's a philosophy of, of, of growth at all costs, of not taking a balanced approach, not taking an intuitive approach. So it's really the counterpoint to that. And, um, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the kind of entertainment that actually embodies these ideas has been wuxia, has been the martial hero genre. Um, and um, everything I learned about brand building, everything I learned about building a studio um, and how hard it is to, to really get content with Asian faces and ideas front and center of it, um, coupled with what I understood about the genre that there's a worldwide fan base for, but not a home for. And then my, my lessons in technology and prototyping and MVP led me to really appreciate um, how you can be very disruptive in today's entertainment and media circles by taking the lessons of um, Silicon Valley, such as the minimum viable product. So I put all of these things together and I eventually would form um, Immortal Studios, which is basically taking the playbook out of out of how Marvel was able to do it, which is to build an iconic um, brand. Because today's the most successful entertainment media companies today stand for something. They stand for a psychographic, they represent a certain fandom. So you're not trying to go from one product to the other without any kind of connectivity. So we're putting it all together. So it just felt like, wow, this is, I now realize now running Immortal Studios, uh, I'm just, you know, one year into this latest incarnation. It's like, wow, I was really, I was made to do this. I was born to, to build it. And there was a reason why my father gave me the lessons and, and, you know, this 20 year foray in all aspects of media, culture, politics, entertainment, technology, um, including five years off walking and trekking through the Himalayas just gave me a certain perspective that I really believe in. And I'm dying to share it with um, the people who care about these kind of stories through the immortal story verse. Yeah. I love that. So a lot of good takeaways from this, you know, and just hearing about the, the pivots that you made along the way gives us a lot of inspiration because, you know, a lot of us out there, especially in the Asian hustle network feel like, you know, once we start a career, once we pick a path, you know, we had to stay at the path the whole time. Mm-hmm. And if, because we don't have experience at other things, we kind of tend not to do it because it's like psychologically we're kind of afraid that we want you to want to do something that you might fail. But in your case, it's like, you know, your, your journey is much longer than most of us. And to hear that your pivot resulted in you living this fulfilling, awesome career in life, it's so inspirational for us to hear. And, you know, it just, it just, reminds me of the fact that we just have to overcome what we think that we can't do to just do the things that we know for 
the things that we know we can't, uh, the, well, the universe sort of helps you in some ways, right? But the universe just kind of pushes you and helps you gain more momentum the more you want to do something. And that, that's amazing. And hats off to you, Peter. Yeah, I just wanted to point out that um, I think it's super important that you mentioned that your first love was in politics. And it's okay for anyone to pivot because although you know you made that pivot from politics to film and media and entertainment, um, you found your second love. And I think you know you can have both. You can have two different loves. You can fall in love with two different industries, but it's okay to leave one for another one. And, you know, I think that it's really inspirational how you mentioned that, you know, you were in politics and you did get a chance to work on some um, some of the entertainment industry and you realized that there was magic in storytelling. So it sounded like there was a seed planted from when you were working in politics, kind of, you know, honing you into the entertainment industry. And when you were teaching yourself how to, like, build a studio, how to produce, was this all self-taught or did you have like a mentor and a team? I've had so many different mentors. Yeah you know, from industry titans who literally just took me off the street and, and really extended themselves. And I think we're all um, beneficiaries of people who championed us and believed in us and supported us um, even before we even saw that potential in ourselves. So even to this day, when I, when I have the chance to really just be there for somebody or stop and give somebody 30 minutes um, or even more, or you see something in them, you know, you just really choose to make that investment. So I was definitely the beneficiary of that. And I continue to be, because even, even as you move along, we still need to be championed. Mm -hmm. You know, you still need people who are going to believe in you. Mm -hmm. um, you're still going to need just people to give you a pat on the back when you least expect it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that goes a long way for sure. Yeah, definitely. So you've had, you know, seven different um, companies that you started. I would love to know just um, the growth between those those companies and, you know, leading up to starting Immortal Studios. How did that kind of prepare you um, in terms of, you know, starting Immortal Studios and what type of challenges did you go through in those transitions? Most people will want to start one company and be yeah. like, okay, I'm done. But you started seven. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like um, kind of it's like the entertainment or the movie business is an affliction. And I think of entrepreneurialism as an affliction because mm -hmm. I'm the kind of entrepreneur that when I get attacked, when I get very attached to solving the problem or it usually comes in the form of a vision, you know, it's, it's like an affliction. It's an attachment to an idea that just won't leave you. So I have this rule of thumb that if I think about an idea every day, almost night and day for 30 days straight, it's like God's way of telling me, Peter, this is for you. If I don't hit that passion, then I won't do it. And it just so happens that I was able to get there with seven ideas, but they actually, what I, what I realized in hindsight is that our experiences build on top of each other. Yeah. Um, including, especially the failures. Like I, I would say that some of my, my most, I'm talking about utter failures, mm -hmm. you know, like just complete wipeouts, you know, just, I've had, I've had, I've had those as well, but it's just like learning how to get up and learning to like pull yourself back up and believe in yourself again, um, to not make lethal mistakes anymore. So I, I see it as really building, you know, but I would say that fate also has some hand in it because things don't always happen the way that you want it to. You know, one of my technology companies, we had a shot to be, um, to be YouTube two years before YouTube came along, mm -hmm. you know, had we, made a certain market window, um, you know, two weeks out in the market, two weeks laid out in the market, made our Series B evaporate, which 
caused a whole series, you know, a chain a series of chain events like that. I was not responsible for the first internet bubble. So that was not something that actually I could, I could have impacted, but those larger forces, you know, like you started off reading, talking this podcast that there was a career high, like in 2018, I was literally on top of the world. I was, I had come to this point in my career. I'd become a portfolio, um, kind of, I was running more of my holding company. You know, I had, I had several companies, um, that I was actively managing, but I didn't require full-time commitments to them anymore. So I was able to really up-level myself and I was climbing back into being an impact player um, between states. So I had a chance to really put together this multi-billion dollar investment fund with some of the biggest political and business names to do large-scale um, infrastructure and transformational investing across multiple industries. So then the U.S.-China um, trade war hit. Mm -hmm. Even with our political support on both sides at incredible levels, within within several months' time, all the money that was raised and the the investment projects that were put together, we had to return it. Well, I had I made a decision that it was no longer doable. So, like, who would have thought something like that that Donald Trump would come along and disrupt? Um, this large, vibrant cross-border kind of activities that I really devoted myself to doing. So that was like the first thing out of my control. So I, then I focused on my, my, my holding companies. I had, I had a studio, which would later become Immortal Studios, but by then it was more focused on, on doing movies in the, in the Chinese language space. And then I also had a Hollywood production company that was focused on... Um, a different, you know, global projects between Hollywood and China. And within one year's time, the trade wars would trigger um, strong policy back policy backlashes from China that would render that company completely, it was wiped out by, by a change of, in the political environment. So again, who would have thought? There's no way that I could have predicted. So all of the all of our hard won assets, our IP, all of our projects, our contracts. Mm -hmm. I had to I had to basically write down that business to focus on Immortal. So, mm -hmm. and when I focus on early stage Immortal, then the policy environment would change in China such that, and all of three of my major business partners, which were the biggest media companies in China, they went bankrupt or they wrote down their their. Um, commitment to the industry. So that business was no longer available. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then I had to make a decision what I was going to do next. So this is when I took what was the, the original idea of Immortal Studios. Now I'm, you know, I have spent my life savings trying to salvage and getting to this point that I had to basically write down significant assets and investments of time and energy. And then I took that little idea back to the U.S., um, and, and then I would, I would come home and my, my dad would, would pass away you know, due to cancer. So when I found out he had cancer to say goodbye, I had basically less than two months to say goodbye. And this was the time when I started to formulate an idea to take this inkling of the Immortal Studios to build a universe for, for this Wuxia content, the story verse that what I'm doing today. So you know, from from 2018, thinking that I would be a, you know, incredibly transformational fund manager mm -hmm. into 
uh, running these different assets into running a, a, a content company in China, into coming back to the States, losing my dad, um, and then acquiring his library, putting together the funding ready to launch Immortal Studios in the beginning of 2020 with some major backing again, and then have it all pulled away because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's tough. So it was like, it was like five or six body blows within, within months of each other. Mm. So, but I'm not, this is not supposed to be a sad story, but I think this is what happens in life. And this is what entrepreneurs, when you have a dream and when you really put yourself out there, this is, those are the kind of things that we're up against. But the beauty and the, the magic of the story is like, because, because I've, all of these different pivots and transformations that I became super crystal clear about what it is, you know, that we have an opportunity to do. And, you know, I didn't expect COVID to happen. I didn't expect all of a sudden people who look like us to, to be under attack. Mm-hmm. We didn't expect to be pariahs in my own country, but this is also a, a time of awakening of inclusion and that, by virtue of what we're doing, which has the opportunity to represent Asians on, on global scale and popular culture and entertainment is like mm. you with a heroic and inclusive theme is like, how cool is that to be able to serve that? So yeah. that was kind of the, and that's the kind of the market opportunity, not just even, it's a human opportunity that we're just so honored to be leaning into. So it was like through the series of pivots and these things that got me to this point. So my story is pivot, pivot, pivot again, and pivot again. And, and you know what? Somehow, through all of these influences and pivots, I, I got to do something that I felt like I was meant to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, definitely very, very touching story, you know, and you basically describe the entrepreneur journey in a nutshell. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a tough journey, and it really tests this if you really want this in your passion and you know, obviously like you're very passionate about your work and I think it reflects through the story that you just told, you know, and I think that it's a, it's a great, almost a reality check for all of us to sort of think of as we're going through our own journeys and, you know, is this entrepreneur journey the right path for us? Mm-hmm. And on top of that, you know, in Mortal Studio. You don't have a choice though, right? I bet you, you don't have a choice. You yeah. You have a choice, but when you're looking at it and it just like, I feel like that's where entrepreneurs are amazing because we, yeah. you know, you're called by something. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a tough journey, even for us too. Like some days you wake up, we're like, why do we do this for ourselves? <laughs> you know? uh, but some days it's, it's like, it's like the best rewarding thing ever because you're seeing an impact that you're making in the world. Mm-hmm. You're seeing your vision come true. You're pushing out a new reality, which is the most rewarding thing. And I know you're building a universe and Immortal Studios, can you talk a little quickly a bit about your characters that you created, the universe that you're going to create or have, sure. have created? Because you want to learn more about that, be able to support yeah. you in your vision. Well, first of all, for Wuxia lovers, there's actually like four or five different subgenres that people like. Whether if you like Bruce Lee or, you've like, or you're into the Karate Kid, that's more grounded kind of thing. Or you like um, a Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, where the powers are more fantastical or you're kind of in an immortal world or you're in the journey to the West world. Well, what I've done is I've actually put together a story verse filled with different characters that are interconnected that represent these four big quadrants that historically have never been put together like this before. 
Mm-hmm. I've also acquired my dad's entire library of 63 books that has thousands of characters. So I often say, like, on our team, we have the former um, editor-in-chief of Marvel now. Wow. We also have the, the, the head of publishing from DC. So we've actually were able to bring these guys, like the industry titans. But I always say to them, look, you guys have nothing on, on what we're doing at Immortal because we have thousands of characters. We have the 63 titles and we're basically now readapting these stories with a modern backdrop. Because one of my biggest beefs about these kind of stories is that you often think that always happens in, in ancient China or ancient Asia somewhere. It has no bearing for the modern world. It's like, we're going to change that. Mm-hmm. So we're basically readapting these stories for a completely brand new audience. So I've created a few stories and I'm in the process of adapting my dad's. And by the time, you know, two years from now, we would have launched 10 different series that's going to lay the foundation for everything else that we're going to do in, in movies, television, games, immersive, themed entertainment, and lifestyle. So okay. we're really, really committed to using these stories to awakening the hero and everybody we touch. Because I think it's really about that. But our journey is going to be a lot more specific on how you could pull yourself up, how you can uh, believe in yourself and how to follow your dreams. Um, so those are like the lessons that I've learned along the way because, because without it, I would have been, I would have been fallen. So in some ways I've kind of, you know, I'm living, I'm living proof that you can do it. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I love that. And yeah. You know, it might be a weird request, but we want to request to be a character inside your universe <laughs> <laughs> in the future. Okay, wait a minute, that guy looks like me. <laughs> no, we're, um, I think we talked a little bit about this, and, and one of the things that we're really excited about leaning into is representing the diverse range of Asian faces, experiences, aesthetics, you know, because it really takes more than one part, two part, three part, four part, five part. It really takes like a whole story verse it takes, because it's taken us thousands of years to get to this point. And one of the biggest beefs I have with um, being underrepresented is because whatever you come out with has the responsibility of making everybody happy, which is just not possible. But if you consider that the world is 60% Asian, and that if you look, if you rely on mainstream Western press to think, to, to look at it, you would think that it's about 1%, which is kind of a dangerous thing if you think about it. Mm. Not just from a political or cultural point of view, just that people are severely, um, it's not reflective of realities. It's not reflective of where the world, what the world really looks like. And that's a very, I think that's a very important thing. So. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I just wanted to thank you for sharing that. I think, you know, about what we were talking about before, how we're in such a in, in a difficult time, I think it's um, very much needed for us to have these, you know, stories and comics to refer to, to kind of like, like you said, reawaken their inner hero, right? Because mm-hmm. for the kids that are out there, and even if they aren't kids, for anyone who's just a reader, for them to find inspiration from these stories, is just so important to see people who look like them, right? Is just so inspi- inspirational because we don't see that all the time. Mm-hmm. And we definitely need more of that. Um, which is why I want to learn about like the creative process that you go through to kind of like bring these stories to life. And if there was like one specific inspiration, whether that be like a thing or a person that really was the inspiration behind Immortal Studios or these stories overall. Well, it's both, you know, my, my father obviously has been a massive inspiration because he taught me the ropes yeah. through reading him, 
um, traveling through these ancient mountains of China. And, you know, I've had a chance to work directly um, with the, the top warrior monks of the Shaolin Temple, which is where the Kung Fu was born. And I've had the benefit of working directly with a lot of real profound masters who are extraordinary. So they've all inspired me. So I don't treat it like, like fiction. I treat it as reality. I treat it as truth. Um, so it's just really, you know, it's the confluence of all of these different experiences. And then when I sit down to create a story or I'm adapting a story that it just kind of the inspiration just comes, yeah. you know, um, and now it's, um, now it's also collaborating with a, with a tremendous team that we've assembled of other writers, other creators and, and artists and visualizers. So all of it really coming together. Um, I would just give a pitch for, for the, the comic medium, because I come from traditional entertainment, you know, it, it sometimes takes, well, first of all, most movies people develop never get made. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're lucky, if you make 5% of the movies, you actually develop. So 95% of the other stories, you'll never be seen. They're still born. They're sitting in a pile somewhere and they'll never be made. It's incredibly frustrating. And then the ones that get made takes, takes you 10 years. And if you're lucky, millions and millions of dollars and so many different chefs in the kitchen. But the purity of, of going to this comic as a minimal viable product is that, you know, the ideas that I had last year were already out in the market. Mm. Mm, yeah. So the beauty of that and uh, in, the, in the process of doing this, uh, I've actually become a creator in my own right. Up until this point, I've just been a producer or a CEO, but... Um, in fact, the book that I wrote that I adapted from my favorite book written by my father called Chronicles of the Immortal Swordsman, mm -hmm. was just launched on Kickstarter. Um, we use Kickstarter as a way to activate our initial fan base. Uh -huh. um, so it was launched two weeks ago and it was funded within the first day. Now it's trending to wow. be a popular a comic. And I'm also very proud of the fact that this comic starts stars an Asian a young Asian man in a time when you don't see these kind of faces, not just for Asian kids, but I think it's very important for me that, that other people who are not used to seeing Asian faces in heroic and main parts mm -hmm. um, get used to that as well. Cause I think that's part of what we want to share, not just for fellow Asians, but we want to take the message to everybody. Mm -hmm. um, also very proud that our first story was starring an Asian woman. Um, depth. So it's fully representing, it's not just a, a racial thing, it's also a gender thing, it's a psychographic thing, you know, so we're very proud of the beginning that we've had and we're still, you know, incredibly young. So, you know, we're, we're basically two stories into our probably 100 story universe. So my hope and goal is that, you know, five years when we sit down and have this conversation, we'll have theme parks by then. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And congratulations on your Kickstarter. That's amazing. Dream big. Yes. Um, and, you know, obviously the wuxia genre has a storied history in the East and has had a past and present influence in the West. How do you ensure that you continue to maintain um, that influence as well as to like elevate it and modernize it during this time? Well, first of all, I think it has to be authentic. Yeah. Because because I am, I'm also a martial artist myself and I've learned and I know enough to know that I, I don't know anything, but 
even even within it, because right now martial arts or wuxia is almost created by people who are who like the genre, but they're they're taking their notes from say something they saw that was made in the seventies, or you know they're inspired by another film. There's nothing wrong with that, but like we take our we take our inspiration from the legends, from the source material, from the practitioners themselves, from the from you know the 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 real practitioners and 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 solid ideas and going back to like the founding ideas of how these come to be. So we're bringing it into a real authentic point of view that I think is very much missing. That's why people would say, oh, it's Chopsaki or they, they give it a lot of pejorative names, but they don't know that it's actually, and it's an incredibly, you know, it's an incredibly aspirational, beautiful, philosophical, romantic, um, transformational body of knowledge and work that is life-changing. So that is really our perspective. And, and I think um, during this moment of darkness and transition for humanity, everybody is looking for, um, in a media-driven world, we get our meaning, we get our energy from stories and media. Mm-hmm. Like, but which media company is really going out there and thinking of that, you know, I want to tell stories that inspire people's souls. I want to tell stories that would transform you you know, that would give you a hug and, and support you and give you kind of a roadmap to unleashing your own dreams. Like that's my vision for, for the wuxia that we're telling for this, this moment. And that's why I think we're, we could be incredibly compelling in the public square of ideas today. Amazing. love that answer. And Peter, we have one last question for you. And that is what one advice could you give to an aspiring entrepreneur and how would you advise them to reawaken their hero? Um, one, I, I think the simple one is just to really, it, really to give yourself permission to dream. Mm-hmm. You know, really believe in yourself. Go out there and try it, and try it. And um, I would say, uh, and surround yourself with with amazing people who believe in you, who are going to support you. But first, you just have to give yourself that. You just have to give yourself permission to go out there and to be bold, to dream, and to not worry about how it's going to happen. Because in my experience as a, as a, as a Chinese, Chinese kid who had no political friends, who didn't even know how he was going to get into politics, it was just really believing that somehow it was going to happen and daring to hold it, hold it long enough for you know, the world to catch up. Mm-hmm. Mm. Amazing. Thank you so much, Peter. And how can our listeners find out more about you and Immortal Studios online? Um, for people who like what we're doing, I would say go to our website, immortal-studios.com. If you're interested in backing our projects, go to Kickstarter and look for Chronicles of the Immortal Swordsman. I'm also known as Ancient Futurist on Insta. Um, those are, I think, enough handles. Yeah, awesome. awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today, Peter. It was amazing learning yeah. about you. Thank you, Peter. I appreciate you. And I'll see you around, especially on Clubhouse. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for this time. By the way, I've never talked about this pivot, 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 pivot again. Mm-hmm. So that's um, that that's all brand new. So thank you for letting me process my life in this in this special way today. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. We learned a lot from you and you're definitely inspiration to all of us. Appreciate you. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.